0: Everyday witches emerge from the shadows of secrecy. Broom closets are flinging open and witches are taking flight. Whether you are hiding in your cozy closet or flying with pride, stay for a spell as Witchcasting with Theodora Pendragon and her guests share magical moments, stir the cauldron, and debunk misinformation and misconceptions about paganism, witches, and our wonderful world of magic.
1: Hey there, I'm your host, Theodore Pendragon. Today I have a very witchy guest, and her name is Anya Sullivan, and she is the founder of Serenwitchery. Did I pronounce that right?
2: You did. It's a play on the word serendipity. So yes, Witchery, serendipity, because magic is very serendipitous.
1: So what is Witchery? What is that?
2: Seren witchery is, a. I came up with it because um, I've always wanted to work with the word serendipity. It's always just like had this like magical place for me. And so I told my goddess that I was working with, who is Sekhmet, I said, okay, I need a name and I really want to play on this word. What do I do? And nothing was coming. Nothing was coming. I was like, whatever. So I turned on some music and I started dancing and Out of nowhere, I heard, what about sarin witchery? And I stopped dancing and wrote it down because I was like, oh, there it is. I started by doing classes, uh, teaching people how to protect their own energy um, and stuff like that. And then some of my students came to me with, we have these essential oil potions. Are you interested? And I said, yes, I am. And so after their class of making oils, we decided to make a line for sarin witchery And one of my students who became a very, very good friend of mine happened to make a blend called serendipity. So we went with serendipity. We started with three oil blends and now I have, I believe we're almost up to 45. I also make gem elixir potions, which are distilled water that have in ritual space, have imbued with the metaphysical properties, vibration, and megahertz of individual stones. And then I have a formulary that I follow and I put them all together for anything mind, body, or spirit, as well as metaphysical things. I also do what's called amplified Reiki. I am a crystal Reiki master. And what I do and the reason I call it amplified Reiki, I use tuning forks during my Reiki session. So instead of hitting all five dimensions, I can actually get to the out to the eighth dimension of the energetic aura and cleanse it out. What are tuning forks? Tuning forks are we've all been in music class, right? Or we've seen a tuning fork used to like, you know, tune a piano. It's the same thing. Those vibrations and certain megahertz actually impact the body in a different way, and it changes the resonance of the entire body. And so there are weighted tuning forks and non-weighted tuning forks. The weighted tuning forks are wonderful for muscular skeletal problems, inflammation, arthritis, The ones that are unweighted go above the body in like the aura area or up to the ears. And by changing the frequencies that the brain is getting in the megahertz of the brain, it actually impacts the body system. I've been doing it for uh, two years now and I've gotten amazing results. I have a lot of return customers and one of their favorite services is the Amplified Reiki. And I'm also a witch for hire. So I do all those sort of witchy things like I clean houses, I do naming ceremonies, I've done hand fastings or weddings, I do end of life, I have spells, I mentor, I teach magic as well. I I have a witchcraft 101 class.
1: You are a witch for hire. You're the first witch I have met who actually used that term, witch for hire.
2: Witch for hire, I really, I really prefer to call myself a witch of all trades because I am an eclectic witch. I'm very, very careful about cultural appropriation, but at the same time, there are some procedures and rituals that are really great and you can take any ritual and rewrite it to make it for what you need and I can help you do that. I've helped people write their hand fasting rituals. I've helped people. I mean, I've been a leader in the pagan community up here in Portland now,
1: uh, almost
2: 25,
1: 30 years. What's it like to be a witch in Portland?
2: Very easy. I have found that here in Portland, there's not a lot of those preconceived, oh, it's a witch, notion. A lot of people are like, oh, you're a witch. I live in a very conservative town, very red, if you catch my drift. Yet when people see my bumper stickers or my purse that I carry around, which looks like a book that says Witch's Companion on it, I get a lot of elderly Abrahamic people, Abrahamic religion people coming to me going, oh, you're a witch? And I'm like, mm-hmm, I am. Can I help you? And they're like, is it true you're a steward of the earth? Yes. Yes, we are. We take care of the environment. We believe that the animals need a place. We believe in living harmoniously with our mother, which is the earth. That was a nice way for them to
1: question you.
2: It was, I was, I was, I have to tell you, I was, I was arming up (laughs) because, yeah, I was expecting that. Well, you're going to hell because, you know, I hear that a lot (laughs) as a witch. and Normally my response for that is, huh, it's a really interesting point of view. Don't you have to believe in some place to be able to go there? And they just walk away because they don't understand that we don't even believe in hell.
1: Arming yourself. I live my life arming myself. Right? Exactly. Yeah, you got a problem with that? <laughs>
2: yes. I no, I'm just kidding. No, I mean, I was a sign language interpreter for over 30 years. And so I've been in a lot of situations where you're really facing discrimination. And you have to be able to approach that in a way that's not scary or rude or whatever adjective you want to put in here that's negative. So I really rely a lot on that training. And I'm very fortunate to have that because I can also offer all of my services in ASL. You don't have to bring an interpreter with you when you come and see me because I'm proficient. I was a mentor. I worked in the profession for over 30 years. So I have a plethora of <laughs> training because of it.
1: You offer other magical services as well, such as tarot and crystal ball readings. The Majority of the witches I have on here do read tarot. Most witches can read tarot. Not all can read the crystal ball. Tell us what that's like as a witch.
2: One of the first things I tell people, because when when they come in, can I have a reading? Sure. Would you like crystal ball or tarot? And they usually go, what's the difference? So let me explain that part first. And that might make it easier for people to understand. The tarot has pictures for you, the client. Okay. It's so that you can have, you know, a say in what those pictures can possibly mean. The crystal ball is basically a scrying tool. I look into it and my crystal ball gives me images or pictures that help me connect that energy with the person. So for example, if that person um, is really dealing with, I don't like this relationship I'm in or whatever, my crystal ball may show me me and one of my (laughs) ex-husbands, you know, not that I'm, I'm not friends with my exes, but that feeling of being betrayed, that feeling of something changing, and I wasn't even aware something was going on. That's why the crystal ball would show me my ex husband. Oh, you're going through that right now. Okay, so how do we connect that with the person getting the reading? But the crystal ball shows me photo, pictures, images, ideas, colors that help me to translate that. And I mean, one of the things about being a psychic medium is is I'm still doing interpreting. I'm just not doing it in ASL. I'm doing it for the entity or the ghost in
1: front of me to the person that they're speaking to. And what you see in the crystal ball are figures, colors, figures,
2: colors. Um, like, for example, if it wants to tell me something's going to happen at a certain time of year, they'll use our Sabbaths for me. My crystal ball will show me the Sabbath. So for example, um, I had a reading just recently and the person was talking about their elder parent who is close to end of life and and crossing over to the other side. And they asked me, do you know when? Basically, and my crystal ball showed me carved pumpkins. So, oh, okay. Salwin around Halloween, which is a normal time for a lot of exits anyway that I have found. There are a lot of people crossing over during the fall into Samhain and then into the winter because that's just part and parcel of the circle. So that image, she'll give me sunflowers for summer, you know, leaves for the fall, you know, daffodils for the spring, you know, so it just depends. Every person would see something different because it is very individualistic. Because what that image may mean to me may be a completely different image for or understanding for you with the same images.
1: Typically, what questions do people come to you with when they want a crystal ball reading?
2: Oh, it runs the gamut. Uh, everything from when will I find my first love to... How am I going to do in school? Am I in the right place? Am I going in the right direction? What about my parents? I'm estranged from this family member, but I still care. Can you tell me how they're doing? You know, uh, children, when will we have, will we ever have? Are we going to get married, divorced? Sometimes people come in for readings because they really are looking for direction. And everything else feels, for lack of a better word, Out of place. And so when they come in with me, I take the energies and instead of seeing them all shuffled around them, I kind of put them in an order. And that's what my crystal ball or the tarot cards do is kind of put it all in order so that we can talk about it and start processing it. And I can, you know, offer ideas or or remedies or remediation to certain things that they may not have a clue about. I have a lot of people come to me also uh, first time magic practitioners. Like I just bought a book, you know, which is how I started. I started with Scott Cunningham. So a lot of people will bring in their Scott Cunningham, but going, I don't understand this. I'm like, okay. Let me explain. So I do a lot of, I'm a, I'm a teacher by, <laughs> by personality. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're the first, which I've met who said she got her start from Scott Cunningham. Most people get their start from Raymond Buckland.
2: Raven Buck, I've also heard of uh, To Write a Silver Broomstick by Silver Ravenwolf. That's a very big first-time book to use. Scott Cunningham's uh, Solitary Practitioner's Guide to Wicca was recommended to me by a woman who actually was leaving witchcraft and going into the Pentecostal religious faith. That's a switch. I know. I was really surprised, but she they needed community, so hey, you do you, whatever works. Take what you like, leave what you don't. Right. And that was the first thing that Scott Cunningham taught me in that book that I was like, finally, a spiritual practice that I can actually like get behind. Because I I was heavily, I was raised Catholic. <laughs> I am a recovering Catholic. <laughs> I'm a recovering Catholic too. Most witches I find are.
1: (laughs) I have a different take on that. I'm totally recovered.
2: (laughs) I'm a recovered Catholic, but I say recovering because I don't want my clients to feel like, oh, I'm better than you or I've done it. You better hurry up. I don't want people feeling that way. (laughs) There's no
1: chance of relapse.
2: (laughs) But hey, you do you. (laughs) You know.
1: You do you. Yeah.
2: She recommended me for me to find that book. And so I went to Powell's City of Books here in Portland, which has an amazing alternative spiritual area that you can find any book under the sun that has ever been published in this city. It's called Powell's City of Books. It's like four stories. It's really awesome. But I was able to get that there. And then Scott Cunningham, he was a prolific writer and author. Oils, Oils. And so I just started collecting all of his books as references. And to this day, when I make any blend, if I make any kind of oils or stuff, I will refer to not only his books, but other essential oil books that I have to make sure that there's not going to be an icky or this causes more stick or don't put these two together. It's not a good combination. I mean, I have to be really careful with the gem elixirs because there's some gems that you cannot get wet. Those are the kind of things that, and I have all of those here in my apothecary. And what I do is, is I can use those books at any time. I know they're still revising them too, I believe.
1: Tell us what gems you can't get wet because not everybody would know that.
2: Uh, There's a few of them. Um, The first one that really comes to mind is selenite. Selenite is salt. It will melt. There are some malachite stones. Malachite is a very, you got to be careful with malachite because there's so much copper in it. If it gets too wet, it can become toxic. It can emit a toxic gas. And there are people who have told me that they gotten their malachite stone wet and it has exploded. Really? So malachite, the green malachite, has a tremendous amount of copper in it. So you can have a lot of reactions with that. Bumblebee jasper, do you do not want to get it away. It's all arsenic. Bumblebee Jasper, if you're handling Bumblebee Jasper, you should be washing your hands the minute you're sa- The minute you done. You should be washing your hands because it can become toxic. If it builds up in the body.
1: It would be wise then not to make jewelry out of it and wear it in the shower.
2: Exactly. A friend of mine who wraps beautifully wire wrapped stones, and he wire wrapped a, a malachite necklace. And I contacted him with, hey, Be careful. Let your customers know. And he did some research and came back and said, not as many do as they did before. So I got to do some research on that. Maybe the man-made stones don't do that. I don't know. But I use real stuff. So when I do use the more toxic or the stuff that melts, like selenite, there are a few of them. Let's see. Amber, if you get it wet, it will kind of like after a while fade away and melt because it's a natural resin. I would say if you really want to know about a stone, Google is your best friend. Metaphysical properties of insert stone name here. So I do that a lot, but I also have a lot of books that I look up. And if I have ultimately, if I have a question, the elder who taught me how to make these gem elixirs, I can call them and ask them because luckily for me, they're still contactable on this side.
1: A lot of people may remember from their childhood, they got a game called the Ouija board. Now, I was introduced to the Ouija board when I was a youngster, and I used to even play with it with my sister and my mother and my friends. Do you play with the Ouija board? I make them.
2: I make them. Um, I love
1: Ouija boards. Tell us why.
2: Okay. Okay. So first of all, the Ouija board is two words for yes put together. The first one is we, French, and then I believe it's the Dutch, which is the ja, so
1: we, Ouija, okay, ja. Yeah. J-A, ja, is also yes in German, but it's pronounced ja.
2: Right, exactly, so Ouija. So, uh, yes, yes. yes, 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 yes. So when I was growing up, my mother... Knew that I was a psychic and a medium, and she believed that I had been gifted by God with a gift. So my mother taught me, even though it was all Catholic, my mother always taught me to do your prayers before you start. You may you are always respectful with the dead, always because you don't know what they can do when your back is turned. And then the third one was: no matter what you do, you close your session when you're done by a prayer. So for me, playing with the Ouija board was no different than having a tarot deck, no different than having a pendulum with a pendulum board. People freak out with Ouija, oh, it's a Ouija board, but yet they'll have pendulum boards all in their house that look exactly like a Ouija board. The only difference is a pendulum board is round and you're using a pendulum instead of the planchette. Okay, so... A lot of people will say that, and I'm like, but yet you have this. There's no difference
1: between A and B. Yeah, there are people who are deathly afraid of the Ouija board. Well, and
2: a lot of that has to do with-
1: It's a tool. It's just a tool. Exactly,
2: But a lot of that fear has to do with two things specifically. Movies? The first one is the Abrahamic religions and their perspective on it which was adopted by Hollywood and taken way beyond anything anyone could even imagine.
1: Hollywood can really get carried away with us.
2: Oh, well, I mean, it's a great story. Don't get me wrong, but let me tell you, I've watched a couple of those movies with that would have never have happened. That's no, no entities crawling out of it. Sure. I've watched it, But if you know how to do it, you can stop them and shove them back down. Oh, no, you're not allowed. No, not you. (laughs) You do not have a ticket. You do not pay your entrance. Not coming in. So it's no difference. I have seen more malignant spirits and entities released by a person doing a tarot reading than I have a Ouija board session. So to me, the Ouija board is no different of a divination tool. Then my pendulum, my tarot, my crystal balls, my tuning forks, they're all tools. It's the intent of the person behind it. One of the reasons that I make Ouija boards for people, and I do it outside of my apothecary, the reason I make them outside of the apothecary is because there are some people who work in the shop that I'm located in that feel very uncomfortable with it. So I have to work with them at home and that's okay. But I make them out of ceramic, wood, you know, boards, whatever you want to do. I've also taught how to properly use a Ouija board at the Oregon Ghost Conference this year in 2023. While giving that presentation, I was approached by a beautiful woman by the name of Kendra, who next is was filming a documentary called Ouija Mania. And this documentary was specifically to talk about Ouija boards and spirit boards and what they really are. I'm sure some people have horror stories. I'm sure some people have great stories. We all see the yin and the yang, the good and the bad. Okay. But a lot of people just assume automatically if something happened in the house, there was a Ouija board. Wait, was there a session here? It's like a person. It's like the ghost hunter seeing a pentacle on the floor going, there was person, baby sacrifices. And like, Ah, uh, stop. <laughs> this was a protective ward put on the floor before they put down the carpet. There was no stat. First of all, we don't eat babies.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't even eat meal. Yeah. Always the baby eating and the baby killing keep coming up. Right? A lot of
2: these myths came from the Catholic church because they were trying to get followers to switch from the old religion, which is witchcraft, to Christianity. I mean, there's so much behind that. When I hit the history of witchcraft in my witchcraft one-on-one class, that's all, that's like a two hour lecture because there's a lot of things people don't know. Like Christmas was originally done in the spring because if you know anything about astrology, the only time the star of Bethlehem shines in Israel is between March and May. The monsoons that they talk about in the Bible, he died in the winter. Because that's the only time in Israel they have those monsoons, is in the winter. When the Catholic Church set up their holidays for those, the old religion people were like, we already did that. You guys are way behind. So they took the birth of Jesus and moved it to coincide with Yule. And they took his death and his resurrection and moved that to Ostara or Easter, which is Because the earth is being reborn. We don't want to focus on death. We're focusing on rebirth. Well, when the Catholic church realized that they couldn't change it, they made their stuff to fit in. So there's a lot of crossover and there's a lot of stuff. I don't say this as those horrible Catholic. That's not my point. My point is know your history. Because when you know your history, you can know where this, where these traditions came from. And not only can you defend it, you can understand your intentions much better
1: when you're doing your magic,
2: if that makes any sense at all.
1: It makes total sense.
2: So yeah, so I've always been a Ouija board lover. <laughs> um, I played with them when I was a teenager. But again, I never had, I had one issue, one. And it was because my girlfriend played with it without me and she opened it without a prayer.
1: She was playing with it by herself? Yes.
2: Mm-hmm. And and I told her, if you're going to play with it by yourself, follow my mom's rules. Because we were really close friends. She grew up with my mom, just like I did. So...
1: Was your mom a witch? My
2: mom doesn't tout herself as a witch. But if you know anything about Catholic mysticism, which is Catholic magic or hoodoo, yes. But my mother also learned a lot of those things from her mother. And when my mother was little... She was uh, born in NOLA, New Orleans. And so these are things that I don't know if her mother passed down to her, if this is something she heard from her friends. Because at one point when she was younger, she moved. But grandma still did those things. And I believe my grandma did too. But I should probably go through that history with my mom <laughs> and write it all down so I know my own lineage but my mom is always known about energy. She herself is psychic now, as is my father. But my father won't say it.
1: You said that your mother realized you were psychic when you were a child. What did she observe?
2: I was talking to people that weren't there. I had answers that I shouldn't have had. Not at three or four. I shouldn't have known that word. Um, I would talk to people. My, uh, you know, I mean, my mom knew. I mean, because I would look at her and go, knock it off. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you're thinking about this, 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 and this. She's like, that's not okay. (laughs) You got to stay out of my head, (laughs) you know? And sometimes it's just, you have to understand when a person has a thought, there is an electrical omission or pulse that goes out with that thought. And people who are uber psychic or empathetic, they're a radio antenna. So as a result of that, they like tune in the radio and they're picking up the person sitting next to them. Well, I would do that with my mom all the time. Little did I know my mom was doing that to me. <laughs> I didn't realize that my mom could do it until about 10 years ago. And then I was like, cause I had no idea. I knew my father had psychic abilities cause that man had the ability to catch me. And I am not joking you a nanosecond before I got into serious trouble. Always. So I know my dad had psychic abilities too. He just doesn't recognize them. I think my brother is psychic. My sister is psychic as well. She's a channeler. So it runs in our family, I think. Now, I don't know if my brother is aware or uses or has honed. Both my children have the same ability. It seems to run in our family.
1: When you said that your mother saw you talking to people who weren't there, do you remember who you were talking to? And if you saw them?
2: One event specifically, we were visiting a family friend and there was a young lady who was about, I believe like nine. And she passed away in the home. I don't know if it was an accident. I don't remember. Cause again, I was very young. But I was, I was looking at my mom. I'm like, where'd the little girl go? My mom's like, "What? there aren't you and your sister are the only goers. I'm like, no, the other little girl we were playing with. And she's like, what are you talking about? So, and it was then that, I mean, I got made fun of a lot by family, friends, and even my own family for my psychic abilities. But my mom also told me that I had to learn how to get thick skin. I had to learn when to talk about it and when not to, when would be appropriate And like, for example, at school, I kept my mouth shut about it a lot because I was going to Catholic school. I had nuns and priests. I didn't know if they believed me. And some of those people, oh, she's possessed by the devil. And my mom was afraid of that. And so she taught me how to navigate those kind of situations, so to speak. I will never forget knowing. I know exactly when I realized how much my mother did hoodoo. And it was when we went to Arizona for her 60th birthday and she went and bought all the girls in the family, a specific necklace. And she told us, don't put it on until you get home. Okay. So we get home and she had all the women in the family sit around it in a circle. And then she's like, all right, I want you to take this necklace. I want you to hold it and hug it. And then I want you to pass it clockwise. And we we're going to do it three times. And I was just like, okay. When we were all done, I looked at her and I went, you practice magic, mom.
1: She goes, no, I don't.
2: And I'm like, you just did. That was a ritual. And she went, oh. So it's almost like even she didn't realize what she was doing. She was just following her spirit guides and doing what felt, I mean, again, my mom herself was psychic, but I really didn't realize how much of that psychic ability my parents had until I was in my early forties and I'll be 54 next month. So it's been about 10 years where I've like started really looking back going, huh, oh, this runs in the
1: family. <laughs> Tell us how we can find you online.
2: Online is my website, and uh, that is www. And I'm going to spell it out S E R E N W I T C H E R Y dot com. I'm also on all social media platforms. I am on TikTok. I am on Facebook. I am on Instagram. <laughs> I am located. My apothecary is located in a witchcraft metaphysical shop called if the broom fits in Beaverton, Oregon. So you can come in and see me. I do custom potions. I do custom elixirs. I have people coming in all the time uh, for readings. I do walk-ins as well, but I do have, you know, I do have people who make appointments as well. And so, yeah, you can find me in Beaverton, Oregon. Sometimes I'm also at, uh, like, for example, I'll be at Eugene Pagan pride, um, in August. What do you do on TikTok? Uh, I used to do a daily moonology, uh, Oracle card poll or tell people what's going on, uh, as far as, you know, events that I'm having, I do, I will bring up certain subjects, like for example, just recently the Schumer frequency of the earth, the heartbeat of the earth went from being chaotic to being actually rhythmic and patterned. And so that's an upload and a vibrational shift for all the humans on the earth, which is why everybody has been really, really tired for the last two weeks. It's because our body is readjusting to the new resonance that the earth is now giving off. And so I will talk about that. I'm still working on the magic of accepting how I look on camera. <laughs> so I do have a tendency to, you know, do pictures with me speaking in the background. I am more, I, I'm less active on TikTok since they changed up all their videos, plat, video platforming. Cause they changed a lot of the ways that you can make your videos all of a sudden. And so because of that, I haven't been able to do what I did. I had to actually switch my Moonology Oracle card pulls from TikTok to YouTube because TikTok took away all the video editing. I couldn't do it the way I could before. So we're we're still trying to figure out. And when I say we, I do have a business partner now. Her name is Shannon. She's amazing. And she takes care of all the technical stuff because she is definitely more computer generated where I, if I get really mad and my energy gets too much... I have been known to fry electronics. If I get really angry, you'll find that I leave all technology away from me and I'll go do something else because I'm afraid that I, I have a girlfriend who gets angry and will fry stuff in her hands. So
1: I'm going to put your links in the episode notes. Thank you. And it's been wonderful having you on the show. Saren Witchery, the witch of all trades. Thank you, Anya.
2: I appreciate you so much. And thank you for this opportunity. I can't say thank you enough. Gratitude. Well, thank you for this opportunity. Well, I hope to be asked back. Well, we'll have to have you back. I would love that. Sounds like a plan. Thank you so much. Bright blessings. Blessed be. Blessed be.
0: Thank you for joining us for Witchcasting with Theodora Pendragon. Have a burning question or have a topic you'd love Theodora and her guests to discuss on the show? Contact her through Instagram at TheodoraPendragon. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. And help us spread the word by leaving us a rating and review and sharing it with your friends. See you next time and may your magic always shine.